Welcome to episode 22 of the KBB Review podcast from Taylor's Media. I'm Managing Editor Andy Davis. We're back after a little bit of a break. I've been rearranging the Christmas decorations here in the loft, and those racing pigeons don't take care of themselves, you know. But we have a great couple of guests to kick off the latest series of episodes. Firstly, we have the return of Luke Wedgbury from Colville Kitchens in Leicestershire. You may remember him from episode one, and he's got some very good news about his business and how it's been faring during the lockdown. Then we have an insight into how the lockdown has been affecting the developer market with Ben Olgate from Whiteleaf Furniture. Very interesting and positive stuff it is too. But first... The shameless Taylor's Media plug is back, and I want to point everyone towards KBB Review's social media channels on Twitter and Instagram. We do loads of stuff on there, but at the moment it's the best place to see loads of the entries from the Lockdown Special Design Competition. We're trying to include as many of them as possible, so we're at KBB Review on both those channels. Go and have a look. Right, let's have a bit of a catch-up with Luke Wedgbury at Colville Kitchens. Hello, Luke. Hi, Andy. How are you doing? I'm all right, mate. I'm up in my loft. For those who haven't, who didn't hear you on the first episode, you were literally the first episode, give us the quick sort of two-minute version of Colville Kitchens and what you do. We're a, a, a classic SME family-run business. There are roughly around about 10 employees. Uh, if, you, if you include subcontractors, then it goes up to around about 15 or 16. And yeah, we're based right in the middle of the Midlands in Leicestershire. We're in a town called Colville, and Colville is great. It's, uh, it surrounds, it's been surrounded by lots of small villages, which we service which are business services so the business has been now i think we're in our ninth year of trading and grown year on year organically and with some marketing as well so we're, we're the business is in a good a good position up until covid19 which i'm sure we'll get into but everyone's in the in the kind of same kind of situation as us everybody uh, is, is is has found challenges and struggles but the the enjoyment part of running the business has you have to you have to take the 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 rough with the smooth so we're currently we feel like we're coming out of the rough but that's where we are as a business uh and yeah we, we normally do install around about two kitchens a week that's our average andrew yeah so i think and i mean this in the most possible the most positive possible way you're a very typical independent kitchen retailer you run it with your wife and as you say the, the size of it is, is probably pretty typical when we first spoke we we were th- Talking around the time when it was all about trying to set up some remote working, the showroom had just closed. That was the kind of stage that you were at. Where are you up to now? How's it going? How how are you dealing with the new normal? Back then, we we were either just about to close or we had closed. And yeah, what we did was we uh, ultimately furloughed all of our staff straight away. And it wasn't really an idiot reaction. It was more of a moral thing because the whole COVID-19 thing was new to everybody and we didn't really know much about it. So we felt that it was the right thing to do to, to furlough everybody to get them home and safe. And then from that point on, it was all about making sure that the the marketing sent out the right message to people. So what we did was uh, we completely stopped all of our marketing dead on. We stopped all of it because all of the marketing that we currently did was very generic uh, and very much geared towards us operating as normal. So we stopped that and then we, we started the new marketing campaign, which was all geared towards remote design. And I must say, we we got it absolutely spot on because in regards to design work, we've been absolutely snowed under, and it's 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 been really really positive, really positive. 
Really? So when yeah. you say spot on, what, what, what was the messaging that you put out? So the message we put out was we did, I did some, I shot some of that organic videos myself for social media and we put the message out there to basically say to clients, don't think that everything is on hold. We can still design and plan and price your kitchen project remotely. And here's how you do it. So we, we put that message out there to the public because not everybody realizes that it, it can be an easy process. We, we put that message out there, had a great response to the point where we've had to turn it down a little bit because we can't cope with the influx of designs we've had. Which, really? Yeah, which is a great position to be in. But you take a step back and think, well, hold on. Why, why now are we getting all of a sudden a lot of design work? whereas before we didn't and and we kind of changed our marketing strategy because before andrew we used to charge a design thing well we felt that during the lockdown period we couldn't really do that because we couldn't sell the value of what we do as a company very easily remotely it's, it's great to have people in the showroom and and let them see us and let them meet us and let them see what we do and then we can sell, sell the value of that design fee but doing it remotely we felt like we we had to change things we felt like we had to offer it for free so essentially you have to look at the bigger picture and say well if i was a client and i was receiving an advert on my feed my social media feed or, or, or indeed google or bing and it said that a company was offering a free design service for a full cad drawing and a full quotation and they can do it for me while i'm in lockdown yeah i think i'd have a bite of that cherry as well i think i i think i'd take people up on that offer so i think ultimately that's what happened we we really went for it with the with the marketing and got an influx of designs and within within a four week period we'd got 40 plus designs to be working on how many of them are sort of genuine inquiries then do you think the screening process was me so there's little old me in in our in our study at home and essentially every time a lead came through i was doing the screening process now normally we we have a, a qualifying process within our marketing that it's almost a funnel that's built built in and so i was picking up the phone and i was calling these clients and asking them what their budget was asking them what their time scale was and asking them you know the, ultimately the questions that we would normally ask in the showroom quite a lot of them we had to say we can't work with you budget isn't probably going to be where we're at and we recommend you use you know we, we always recommend other people so i did that on, on quite a few of them so i would say out of all of the 40 design leads that came in uh, we ended up working with around about 30 of them so definitely definitely uh 75 of those were, were were good leads right and were they local yep local all, all of our marketing is local all of our marketing is geared up for a 30 mile radius Compare that to a normal period when your showroom is open. What level of inquiry would you see there? Double. Right. Yeah, That's it, amazing. Double. Yeah, it is it's absolutely amazing. And so normally we we would work on five five leads per week and, and our conversion rate is quite good on that. We we doubled it. It doubled. And, and we scratched our head too. And a lot of people listening to this, because this is an industry a podcast, will be thinking, yeah, wow, why, why is that? What did they get right? I, do, I don't think we did anything special with the marketing. I just think it was people were at home, people are furloughed, and home improvement is is high on, on priorities at the minute for people, it seems. And I think we just kind of fell into that space at the right time where people started to think, well, actually, I can get this done while we're in lockdown. So the idea, I guess, that everyone's hoping is that this pent-up demand exists, 
that there's lots of people out there who still who either want to carry on with the projects that they already were planning or have spent so much time in their house that they've come out of it hating their house. That's basically what people are, are hoping. And what you're saying here is some very, very, very clear anecdotal evidence here that that's probably correct. We had a bit of a group huddle with the staff and felt like we were potentially focusing too much of our attention on the marketing side of it and the sales and the design side of it. Whereas actually it's the delivery and the installation side of it, which is the, the heartbeat of the business, because that's that's the side which brings in the revenue. That's the side where we need to really be looking at our risk assessments and really be looking at creating a package where customers are happy for us to come into their homes. And, and we can say, well, listen, this is this is what we are doing to protect you. Are you happy for us to come into your home and in? and install a kitchen and so far the the clients have all acted quite positively towards that and said yes we, we would be happy for you to do that working within the boundaries that we set out well you have to assume that they've thought of all that before they've even started approaching you about designing a kitchen yeah yeah you would yeah you, yeah and we've also got a backlog we've got a big bank of clients who we had to obviously cancel and move their installs back when we spoke a few weeks ago, when this was just all starting to unfold, you're, you've always been a very confident guy, a very a positive guy. But even back then, you were thinking, "Got no idea what's going to happen here. We could, you know, we could all be in trouble if if not, if everything just shuts down for months on end." What's all this done for your own confidence for what's going to happen in the next few months, six months, a year? Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a great question because I think my analogy of this last time was we're, that we're in a tunnel and there's a there's a light at the end of the tunnel. But I I've kind of changed my mindset around that now because I don't think there's going to be an end to this. I think we're going to have to get used to a new way of living. This isn't going to go away quickly. We're going to have to almost get used to a new normal. So in regards to confidence and and how it's how I look at things now don't think it's changed overly overly dramatically i think it's just it kind of awakens those kind of entrepreneurial senses that we all have where as soon as a challenge arrives you go right how can we get around this how can we overcome this challenge what's the best way to to attack it to make sure that the business not only survives but but thrives as well so in in some respects it's kind of heightened my my senses really i feel a lot more alert to what's happening whereas before this pre-covid you, you have a business plan and you, you set your year out and you roll the punches but now i kind of pay attention to a lot of details that's happening in regards to suppliers so constantly watching what suppliers are doing because they all tend to follow suit so one supplier says i'm doing this and then you know within a three or four hour period i've got three or four emails saying that from other suppliers saying oh well we're doing this now so everyone's watching each other and it's uh, it's quite interesting actually it's it's quite we're, we're all we're very much in a unique situation but it's quite interesting to see how different companies are reacting to it yes i find it all quite fascinating the question at the end of all this i suppose is how do you think this is going to change your business going forward have you seen that this opportunity for remote design for marketing remote design and that's a that's a great way to suck people into the business is that a fundamental shift in how you operate regardless of when lockdowns happen or not yeah i think i think you're right i think i think it is and that's a great way of looking at it It is a fundamental shift because before this so pre-covid i would have never dreamt of doing a presentation via a zoom call thinking that my ratio of success would be good maybe i'd potentially do it 
if it was a client that I wasn't that confident in, in actually making the sale anyway. But that's all I've done. And it's been successful, really successful. So there's no there's no way that uh, I'm just going to disregard this and think, you know, we're just going to go back to the normal sales process. I think this is something that we definitely look at moving forward. The remote the remote design is definitely something we'll look at moving forward. And equally as well with with not to get too nitty gritty into the business side of it, but with staff as well, Andrew, it's amazing what you can get done at home i've i've got staff who are uh, productive very productive in the office but equally they're at home we give them a task to do and and they're responding to it really really well maybe a little bit better than they were at work even because maybe at work they get distracted with lots of phone calls and lots of emails and clients coming into the showroom where at home they're uh, they're working away and working well the phrase the new normal is coming out all the time but actually there might be some very positive parts of a new normal there's people have learned an awful lot about their businesses they learn an awful lot about themselves and what their own capabilities are whether that's working from home or working in an office or in a showroom and i think it's going to be fascinating to revisit in six months time 12 months time what the real changes have been because of this situation as opposed to the short-term necessities yes it has to be it has to be tried and tested doesn't it it has to be it's all right what me saying oh wait we're going to move our uh, our presentation to some of them are going to be virtual now via zoom but actually the the the, the proof's kind of in in the in the testing of it and and you with a business like a kbb business we're not high turnover in regards to sales you know some units will only sell one one sale a week others will do three or four so it's a case of testing it and see how it works. And, and you're quite right. It's going to be six or 12 months time coming back to, to retailers like me and asking, do you, does it, do you still use it? Is it still working? Or how, did you indeed fall back into the old way of, of trading? And do consumers still want it? Yes. They're forced into this as well at the moment, aren't they? Yeah, they are. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's uh, we're in an age where everything's instant, isn't it? Everything is instant, and that's pre. This is pre-COVID. If you wanted to order a book from Amazon, you could. I could order it now on my phone. It could be delivered tomorrow. So this virtual presentations and consultations, talking to clients via Zoom or, or any other app, is is a way of almost feeding that and saying to them, we can do this quite quickly. Uh, we don't have to wait for you to come to the showroom to make an appointment with us. We don't have to wait for a, a space in your diary. We can do it this afternoon if you're free for an hour or so you haven't got to come in. So it kind of, it, it almost makes sense. And I, I can guarantee you, like we are, there'll be there'll be a heck of a lot of retailers up and down the land saying, why didn't we do this before? Extra skills that will need to be learned because of that is actually quite refreshing because even for people who've been in the business a very long time, this is all new stuff, not just in terms of the technology, but in terms of, um, God forgive me for using these phrases for things like this, but sales technique, closing sales, filtering out people who are clearly just tyre kickers. You know, these are all things that will need to be refreshed and changed and what you think you know isn't necessarily the right thing to do for this. Yes. Yeah. And it's been open minded, isn't it? It's 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 been it's kind of coming back to the point I made earlier of, OK, so we, we come out of lockdown and we see some sort of normality. It's it's making sure that you're you're uh, focused enough to say, well, do we have to go back to the old way of working or, or can we can we remain open minded and and maybe use some of these new skills that you quite rightly said we, we're all learning and using moving forward? I've been delivering and had delivered samples, door samples and workshop samples. And that's great because 
it really builds a relationship with the client. Not only have they had a virtual face-to-face -face meeting with me, but then they've had a little gift in the post, uh, whether it be a worktop sample or a door sample. So something, again, to build that relationship. So I think there's 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 lots of positives to come out of this. Obviously, the whole situation is, is difficult for everybody, but the challenges are great because it makes you, it, it, it heightens your senses, like I spoke to Flick about before. And there's lots of positives to come away from that. It gets everybody thinking and gets everybody using new techniques. And that can that can only be positive moving forward surely well look, thank you so much as always luke your view is always a very positive one there's some fantastic news in there that you've that you've been booming so much i think it's absolutely great now of course you are a returner you are allowed another shot at the deserted island discs you are now you are allowed to choose another positive feel-good song to go on the list <laughs> so what are you going to choose this time around right then okay so i am currently in my office at home I'm looking out and it's a beautiful day and my kids are in the garden with a trampoline and the dog and I'm just thinking this is this is nice this is great so I'm going to go for shiny happy people by REM what a song oh good choice now uh, all I've got in my head now is the that episode of you've been framed where you have a dog on a trampoline that's all I'm thinking now <laughs> you can make another 250 quid out of that <laughs> look, good choice <laughs> Good choice, mate. Thank you as always, and we'll catch up with you again soon to see whether this is all panning out how we all hope it's going to pan out. Great, and, and congratulations, Andy, on the uh, on the the design competition, the Lighthouse Design Competition. Absolutely brilliant. I've been watching it on social media, and the designs that you've had come in have been fantastic. And I, I only wish I had time to send one over. Luke, thank you very much, mate, and we'll we'll catch up again soon. Brilliant. Can't wait. Speak to you soon, Andy. Okay, with so much talk around the firing up of the construction industry at the moment, let's talk to someone who specialises in that kind of contract work. Hopefully we've got Ben Allgate, the MD of Whiteley Furniture. Ben, are you there? Yes, I am, Andrew. Morning. Good morning to you, sir. How are you getting on? Yeah, very well. Very well. It's strange, and we are trying to operate a business in, in as normal way as we possibly can in a, in a sector that is moving on a daily basis. And yeah, it's, it's hard work, and it's very strange circumstances, but we we are continuing to push through, and that's all we can do at the moment. Well, for those that are unfamiliar with you, give us the uh, the two minutes rundown on Whiteleaf Furniture and what it is and what you do. Whiteleaf is the the oldest manufacturer of fitted furniture in the UK. We're 150 years old this year. We used to produce loose furniture, but now we specialise in all elements of fitted furniture in volume into the construction market. So. We manufacture everything in-house. We specialise in PD, build-to-rent, student hotel accommodation. We operate a production force of around 85. And then we have, obviously, an external sales team and in internal design teams, et cetera, et cetera. But for all intents and purposes, we are a UK-based manufacturer of volume furniture into those sectors. Now, you've only been involved with the company a relatively short amount of time, about a year or so. Is that that's about right, isn't it? Yeah, I bought the business back in March of 2019. So give us an idea what the current status of things is in a bit more detail here. Are, are you manufacturing right now? Yes. So what kind of volumes are you producing comparative to a, to a, normal, a normal period? I would say at the moment we're probably at about 60% of what we run at normally. We did drop down lower than that. So for us, it was quite a, a, a it, it was quite a strange and very quick journey, which was 
lockdown got announced on the on the 23rd we'd already put a COVID-19 policy in place but sites were still running and at a relatively normal level obviously it was almost an instant shut off on the construction sector but the intentions on a, on a large number of regional sites was to con, uh, carry on. So although there was an issue with them not having the adequate trades on site, which is important for us because we need the site to be at a certain position in order that we can come in and do what we do, it was more the impact of the site slowing and, and trades pulling off site. But we continued to deliver to site all the way through the process it's just really been what pace that was at that time it slowed right down for probably about a fortnight and then week three there was already the intention of of most sites to try and get up and and continue the big house builders came out quite early and declared their hands but they were very very quick to come back out again and say actually we're now trying to mobilize sites again and I think there was only really a two-week window when the construction industry literally shut down shut down I think it's picked up relatively quickly we've we've continued to produce and be on site in some in some way shape or form all the way through the process we're now starting to see the sites that had been just sort of pushed back to sort of August, September, October, initially, and now coming back to us and saying, well, actually, in reality, we now need that stuff in June or July. So what we're now faced with, Andrew, is the exact opposite problem, which is we're now trying to go from a very slow-moving, stop-start environment production-wise to an extremely aggressive, very quickly-paced output. So you're virtually looking to operate at 100% capacity, give or take, that's certainly what you're building up to there. Yeah. But you still have to have all those social distancing measures in place in the in the workshop, presumably. Exactly. So, I mean, we, we were very quick at the beginning. In fact, if anything, I was accused of being slightly hysterical at the beginning in that as soon as this came out, we, we put a COVID-19 policy in place within a couple of days. And this was at the end of February. We'd already put into place steps to ban external visitors and, and you know, our salespeople going out and, and meeting with people, et cetera, et cetera. So all of that was already there in place. We then made a decision to split down into a double shift and we set that up very, very early. So we put two shift patterns in place. We brought on a number of supervisors. We trained everybody from a first aid and a fire marshal point of view which then gave us the ability to run on two shifts. So I was running a two shift pattern back in March. So all we're doing is picking up the pre-lockdown processes, really. So most of the work had already been done. So it's made it, it, it's made it a bit easier for us to come back. And also it gives us the ability to ramp up as well. This is all very positive, of course, and uh, all, you know, there's no doom and gloom in, in here whatsoever. What kind of medium-term to longer-term view are you getting? Because obviously a lot of the stuff you're talking about here were existing sites, existing jobs that are, that are in the middle of being constructed. Mm. What are you seeing at the other end about starting new sites? I'm going to say something now, and everybody who's going to listen to this is probably going to think I'm lying and I'm just painting a, a, a very positive picture. But the But the reality is is that my internal design and estimating teams have never been busier. If anything, they've been absolutely 
are fractured by the sheer workload that's come into them. A couple of weeks ago, we took more inquiries, tender inquiries in a single week value-wise than we'd taken in any single month last year, which is bizarre because I'm running a business where everybody around me is also running businesses where they're sort of being told, you, you know, cut back and you know, and slow down and who knows what the future is going to look like. And I've got design teams that are pushed up to their absolute limit with the sheer amount of work that's coming in. And from clients that we hadn't historically dealt with, we've had orders, new orders that have been secured during lockdown. So um, we've had confirmed orders coming in a couple of weeks ago on on work starting in sort of August and September on site. And these are multi-million pound contracts that are still coming through. So it's it's a strange one because the tap hasn't turned off. Why do you think that is? Well, I mean, I think people always say, if you talk to Ben, he'll always find that positive side and he'll always find that positive spin on it. But I think in reality, you know, if you look at the chain, these people at the top of the chain, that the funds behind this and the money behind this still need to earn money, Andrew. And they still need to find ways of earning money. And there will always be a requirement for housing. You know, we've fallen short year on year on the actual amount of housing that's needed in the UK. And those houses still need to be built. And those funds will still put money into the UK because ultimately it's still a good, sure bet going forward. So if you're looking at a market like Build to Rent, where most of the funding comes out of Asia currently, I mean, at the moment, with the way the currencies sit, there's not really a better time to invest in the UK from a build point of view. And these people will continue to build. If anything, the build to rent market is going to be extremely important because if there are issues with people with regards to them taking a reduction on salary or having to move jobs and things like that, their ability to get a mortgage is going to be is going to be harder, which means that the build to rent market is going to be even more important because it's going to offer that solution to people that may not be able to get on the housing ladder. If you just take this as a metric of, of what might actually be happening, this is a very positive view to take, isn't it? Yeah. The idea that they talk about this V-shaped bounce back, don't they? Yeah. And certainly that is exactly what you're seeing in the sector that you work in. Yes, yeah, absolutely. And I'm not saying that it's going to be for every sector. And I think there will be other sectors that will struggle. I've got lots of colleagues of mine that work on the retail side. And I think they'll struggle more because I think people are going to be thinking a lot more before going out and making those big ticket purchases. But ultimately for us, because of the fact that we manufacture in the UK and because the breadth of what we manufacture is so wide in that, You know, one week I could be manufacturing student accommodation furniture and then two weeks later I could be producing furniture going into million pound apartments in London. So if there was a need to produce furniture for a different sector, then we would just adapt what we were manufacturing. There will be a requirement for for furniture, whether it be in social housing or whether it be in build to rent or whether it be an open market sale it we will just adapt what we do to suit that and that's what makes Whiteleaf almost I wouldn't say protected but it, it definitely puts us in a very strong position and the fact that we are UK based and not reliant on a supply chain from from Europe it, it, it means that we can adapt very quickly and we can control what we do Andrew 
Well, let's delve into that a little bit deeper here, because one of the things that has come out a lot is the idea that people might look a little bit more introspectively when it comes to sourcing product, but they might look a little bit more at uh, UK manufacturers. Can you see there being the kind of problems with that supply chain from Europe that you're... I mean, obviously you're going to say yes, but given the restrictions on on travel, given the restrictions on, on importing and exporting that will probably come out of this, can you see this being a bit of a boom time, relatively speaking, for UK manufacturing? I think the problem is this. I think anybody that knows me knows that I'm a big advocate of UK uh, manufacturers. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna beat up European suppliers because at my time at Mila I dealt with most of, if not all of them. But the reality is, is that I think on the back of Brexit and the restrictions and and what potentially is going to come out of that and then hit with this, if this isn't a time for the UK manufacturers to stand up and actually be counted, then then I'm, I'm not sure when there will be one. Talking to a lot of the big developers that I deal with, the pressure has been over the years that they have to name check a, you know, it's an Italian kitchen, it's a German kitchen, you know, it's a European kitchen because they felt that was the requirement and that they felt that that was what was needed. If you weren't buying handmade or Wilkinson Smallbone along that lines, it was almost like the UK were kind of poor relatives. You, you know, yeah, it's sort of okay, but it's not as good as a German kitchen or an Italian kitchen. And Nowadays, there's a lot of people in the UK that are manufacturing very good kitchens to the standards that you would expect. And I'm hoping now that the developer's hand is forced so that the UK can actually stand up and say, look, you know, we do this and we do it well. And that's not me knocking my colleagues in Europe. It's just a reality that I think it would be nice for UK manufacturing within the furniture industries to be recognised as, as standing alongside our, our colleagues in Germany and Italy. And I think now's the time for us to demonstrate that, that, that we actually have the capabilities of doing that. Well, look, that's brilliant, Ben, and, that, and a very positive message, I think, for, for UK PLC. Now, as people can probably hear, you're a very busy man. You've got four boys at home. Give us their ages. The youngest is eight months and the eldest is 10. Um, oh, see, there's plenty of people just <laughs> nodding their head in sympathy for you here at the moment being locked down. The big question here then, of course, is you need this more than anybody, Ben. You need this more than anyone. What is your deserted Kitchen Island disc? What is the one song that is going to keep you positive and keep you upbeat? I would say Stool Pigeon by Kid Creole and the Coconuts. Oh, that's the first appearance of Kid Creole on the Coconuts, and I would have thought he'd come a lot sooner because he is the definition of it. But I would not have chosen Stool Pigeon, though. No? I like it. It's, it's an obscure Kid Creole track. Yeah, no, I do like Stool Pigeon. I mean, I'll be honest, I've seen Kid Creole live a couple of times, and he is the exuberant performer that you can't help but, but get moving and dancing and jigging along to him. It's impossible, especially with the coconuts there as well. I mean, I know they've changed over the years. I think now they're the daughters of the original coconuts, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> they're the junior coconuts. Yeah, they are. He's responsible for one of the greatest lyrics ever written, of course, which is in Annie, I'm Not Your Daddy, yeah. his big hit. There's just that line that says, if I was in your blood, then you wouldn't be so ugly, yeah. which is one of my favourite lyrics <laughs> ever. And it's completely disguised in this upbeat feel-good song of what a horrible thing to say. I know. It is. Brilliantly done. Ben, thank you so much for your time. I really do appreciate you. You're a very, very busy man, and I do appreciate your time and your very positive outlook on things. So thank you very much, sir. Thanks, Andrew. 
That's it for this episode. Who knew at the beginning you'd spend that much time listening to two men discussing Kikriola and coconuts? Big thanks, of course, to Luke and Ben, and I'll be back with another episode very soon. See you next time. Thank you.